Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Hand on her. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking 2015's The Final Girls. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you have already seen the movie. And I don't know how it took me so long to watch this. It had been on my radar for a long time, and I just kind of ignored it. But totally glad I've seen it now. Uh, I'm assuming, of course, like every movie I recommend, you probably never even heard of this before, right? That is a very safe assumption, and thank you for not putting me on the chopping block <laughs> for, for once. Yes. No, I had no idea. When you told me what the title of the movie was, I had to look it up. I had no idea. And it, it it's a hard movie to pitch to somebody, because I don't think there's a an easy way to describe what it is or why somebody would like it, but it's mm. definitely something to push on people, I think. I mean, it's it's a comedy slasher, and if you want to sell it on someone... Sell it on the cast. And the cast is amazing. I was surprised when I pulled up the trailer, like I do for any of the movies we're going to review, because I, I got edited into the next episode. It, it, it just kept seeing more faces. And it's like, I actually know these people. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's one person I didn't know in this movie, but you did. And you sounded pretty stoked and you saw he was in it. Uh, Adam uh, Devine? Divine? Divine. Divine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know him at all. What do you know him from? Well, he was on Workaholics. Mm -hmm. right? Are you familiar with that show? That had a pretty long run. Yeah, I, I'm aware that it existed, but I've never seen it, no. I mean, he's been... Like, I can't think of a lot of stuff that he was, say, like a lead in or anything like that. But he had a part in the Pitch Perfect movies, which I watched with my girlfriend and admittedly enjoyed myself. Uh, he had a pretty entertaining arc on the show Modern Family. Um, so, like, he's, oh, wow. he's got a pretty healthy career. I just don't know anything major that he might be known for. Well, uh, looking at the cast, one thing I'm noticing is that most of them are really famous from television, not actual film. I mean, it's a good source. If you're making a movie and you can't quite get like A-list movie stars, then why not look for top-tier television actors who are looking for a movie break? Seems like it would be a good source, like a good pool of candidates to, to cast in a movie. After watching this, you would have to try and convince me that these aren't A-list movie stars. Well, that's what I'm saying. Really, what's the big difference between a top-tier TV actor and a top-tier movie actor? It's probably just exposure. Yeah. So that's, again, a fantastic candidate pool to get quality actors in your movie that maybe aren't being in high demand because, you know, bigger productions are looking at that already established movie A-list. Yeah, and it makes sense, too, with a smaller budget to go for people that aren't going to demand as much money. And, yeah, well played. All right, well, let's talk about the movie, man. All right, let's hop right in. The film opens with the trailer for 80s slasher film Camp Bloodbath. It's your standard camp slasher fare, definitely overdone for the tone of the film. Um, turns out that our lead, Max, played by Thaisa Farmiga, 
is watching the trailer on her phone while waiting in her car as her mother auditions for an acting gig. Um, I only really knew her from American Horror Story, but she's phenomenal in that show. I don't watch that show. So she had a bit of a familiar face, um, but I couldn't. And even looking at her like IMDb, I'm like, I didn't see anything I would have seen her in. I don't know. Yeah, I think she's been in the shadow of her sister Vera for a long time, but is now kind of coming into her own, which I'm super stoked about. I think she's fantastic. Okay. She examines one of her mother's headshots and resumes. Um, I don't know if you paused to take a look at any of the titles. Some no, of I didn't. Why would I even think to do that until this very moment? <laughs> Classically bad titles. Although there is one, Chopping Mall. The character they used she a plays, real movie? They used a real movie, but a fake character name. Not sure why, but I, I loved it. I mean, we had a blast watching it. Oh, sorry. I had a blast while we watched that movie. Okay. She glances through the window and spots her mother, Amanda, played by uh, uh, Malin Ackerman, walking toward the car, looking dejected. I get the showing the audience the trailer to set up the backstory. Mm-hmm. And I, you know I always nitpick on this, and it doesn't really make much sense. But it's like, what are the chances that she's waiting for her mom that she just happens to be watching this trailer that she's probably already seen like five million times? Oh, yeah. It's a, a convenience for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm just surprised that what we're supposed to be 20 years later that she looks the exact same. What were they really going to do? They, they, they were stuck. I get it. And honestly, as we get into the movie, you just have to accept there are things you can't nitpick. Yeah. And I mean, they keep the adult quota air quote version of her minimal in the movie. Yes. So, you know, they it looks like they tried to give her a few more wrinkles and things like that. It didn't work for me. She still looked way too young. But, yeah. you know, if it was, in fact, a low budget, like you said, and again, minimal screen time, just let it go. Yeah. And I mean, it, they're close to realistic ages for mother and daughter, too. But let's see here. Uh, okay. So she's Malin Ackerman. Malin Ackerman is forty-three right now. So she would have been what in twenty fifteen? Take seven off of that. Okay, yeah. No, that makes sense. Anyway, they did a good job of, I don't know, trying to make her look age appropriate. But again, like you said, she's only there for a little bit. Um. Amanda sits in the driver's seat and laments about how everybody only knows her from Camp Bloodbath, and she'll never shake that 20-year-old movie. Mother and daughter agree to head to Mel's, which I guess is a restaurant, and set out on the road. The sun's now set, and during the drive, Max is going over their bills while Mother complains about the guy she's dating. Uh, Max talks some sense into Amanda, who laughs about how her little daughter is looking after her. Amanda grabs the bills and throws them out the window just as their song, Betty Davis Eyes, plays on the radio. And I have to say, the music selections in this movie are perfect. I... Go on. <laughs> you disagree? Okay. I, I get it. It's not rad, but still. Uh, it's not that. It's going to be my nitpicking on timeline that's going to come in. Okay. All right. I never really thought about that, but I'm curious. Well, okay, like like let's just let's just get this out of the way, okay? The movie 
like uh what is it called the 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 movie that she's in camp uh, bloodbath camp bloodbath takes place in 1986 mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that is not out yet in 1986 that they reference in this movie oh really yes i will go over some of them when did hey mickey come out uh that i did not look up okay but i mean that is to my knowledge a much older song okay like, even then i think it would have been a retro song all right i'm looking forward to this i i missed all of that so okay point it out because okay i want to clarify if it's just used in the soundtrack i don't mind right yeah it's when the characters actually reference or use or play a song in 1986 that wouldn't be in 1986. Okay. Again, looking forward to it. Point it out. Mm-hmm. I will. Amanda admits she's gotten everything wrong in her life. Everything but Max. She tells her daughter she loves her. And this eventually leads into the two of them singing along to the song. Max accidentally spills her drink on the headshots. And Amanda bends down to grab them, slightly swerving into oncoming traffic. The car is clipped, sending it to a barrel roll, eventually coming to a stop on its roof in the middle of the empty street. Do a barrel roll, Fox. <laughs> <laughs> like one of our listeners will know that reference. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, I did find it kind of weird, though, that like the one other car hit them. There's no other traffic <laughs> on the road. There's nothing to distract anybody. So the other driver must have not had any idea what was going on. You know where I keep expensive headshots? At the foot of my passenger. Of course. Not in the trunk, the back seat, at the foot of the passenger. I, yeah. The weird thing is she doesn't care about the bills, like the hundred and whatever dollar phone bill they have, but Mm -hmm. she's super pissed off about her daughter spilling drinks on expensive headshots. Well, yeah, that's pretty obvious. The bills are something they don't have money for. They don't have money. Ergo something that has already been paid for. I guess that's is more valuable because it can't be replaced. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, here we get the title card, uh, pink and blue. Uh, get ready for a lot of that in the movie. Then we get three years later. Max's alarm wakes her up at 2.15 in the afternoon in her messy bedroom. She showers and watches old home movies of her and her mother. Max is now living with her aunt, who informs her that her friend Gertie has arrived. Cut to the two friends in the car where Gertie, played by Aaliyah Shawcat, um, who I believe is from Arrested Development? Correct. um, Questions Max about Chris, a boy who Max claims she's only studying with as to not flunk classics. Gertie reveals, in fact, Chris recently broke up with popular girl Vicky, who apparently has taken it extremely poorly. If I'm not mistaken, she says a week ago. A week ago, yep. Chris has definitely moved on pretty quickly. And this is high school, university? University, right? Uh, <laughs> I can't I don't tell. Know? I don't know. I was going to say, yeah, it's high school kids. They get over things really quickly. I'm like, mm. You know what? It doesn't matter. No. What I will give this movie, as opposed to a lot of movies we've watched recently, is they don't try to set an age to them so that we can pick it apart. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Didn't think about that. 
Um, because they didn't try to make it out that they, you know they didn't have a 20 something year old playing a high schooler and trying to pass it off they just ignored it which i think is probably the best way you can go about that i agree and i think it's also partially because of the rating of the movie like the studio wanted to make sure that they kept it pg-13 so that takes out a lot of um nudity a lot of blood and gore and violence so to avoid being picked over too much yeah eliminating any potential specific age smart on the on the writers max is obviously depressed and gertie tells her that her therapist always tells her to keep on keeping on which in retrospect doesn't really help her deal since they're a physical therapist <laughs> i like that, that was, <laughs> there's some good jokes does, in the movie does it help you i don't know she's a physical therapist <laughs> The girls meet up with Chris, played by Alexander Ludwig from Vikings, at a diner, where he quizzes them on Greek mythology. Chris embarrasses himself with some accidental sexual innuendo, just as the film nerd Duncan arrives. I love Duncan in this movie. Um, he's played by Thomas Middleditch from Silicon Valley, and he shoves his way into their booth and pleads with Max to get her to attend his double feature screening of the two Camp Bloodbath films. Of course, she vehemently refuses. I mean, I get that he doesn't have any, like, ill intent, but, like, read the room, dude. <laughs> oh, he's so oblivious. Like, if you see him trying to get into the diner, he opens the door from the wrong side. It's like... <laughs> he's great. Yeah, I mean, this is her mom who passed away. Maybe <laughs> Three she years ago today. Maybe she doesn't feel like attending an event to screen that movie. <laughs> but he, he definitely seems to have that, like, social awkwardness and seems to thrive in his movie environment. Oh, yeah. He's the lovable Kind of like idiot. you. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, uh, a friend of mine uh, and I, we were going over people we know and who would survive a horror movie. And we agreed that I would probably make it out of the first one, maybe, but definitely not out of the sequel. <laughs> I wouldn't make it out of the opening credits. <laughs> You'd be our Drew Barrymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the person who dies in the trailer, who's inexplicably, inexplicably not in the actual movie. But you would get like main billing, feature billing on the poster. Probably. Uh, he says the bathmaticians were so excited when he told them Amanda Cartwright's daughter is his sister's best friend. Uh, Gertie quickly corrects him with stepsister. Duncan continues his plea, stating he already told people she was going to be in attendance. He quips with Gertie before explaining to Chris what bathmaticians are, Camp Bloodbath fans, and then breaks down the story for him, including the demise of Amanda's character. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> He's so clueless. Bathmaticians is a terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And I had to think about that for a while, too. If I'm not mistaken, he's like, I'm the assistant GM. So you're not even in charge of this shitty group. <laughs> you're second and in charge. <laughs> I can't help it, man. I still love him. He's as close to Randy Meeks as we get in any movie. He's charming, for sure. He's just very, very oblivious. Yeah. Uh, a furious Max refuses to attend and storms off. Before she can make it to the door, Duncan offers to do all of her classics assignments for the rest of the year. With the offer of graduation hanging over her head, Max reluctantly agrees. Kept outside the theater that night, Max apprehensively stands across the street looking at the marquee until Gertie spooks her, 
The friends approach the theater and Gertie jokes about how obvious it is that Chris likes Max. Max denies it and jokes about how he's a giant and she would need stilts to kiss him, but the jokes stop when both are stunned to see that Chris has shown up for the screenings. He says he's there for moral support, but if that's weird, he can leave. And man, Chris is a sweetheart in this movie, I have to say. Oh, man, he had me at that line right there. Yeah, definitely. In the diner, I was like, okay, he's a little bumbly, whatever. But at that moment, I was like, oh, man, if you don't kiss him, I will. Yeah, right? When I saw him the first time, I'm like, ah, oh, it's fucking Bjorn from Vikings. And now I'm like, oh, it's Chris from the Final Girls forever. Yeah, it's, it's a drastic switch from, like, like I didn't find his bumbliness charming in the diner. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he showed up and said the moral support thing, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's a sweetheart. Oh, yeah, he's in 100%. Gertie assures him that his attendance is appreciated and awkwardly excuses herself from the situation. Chris and Max have a cute moment, and Max admits that it's the anniversary of her mother's death. Uh, she obviously doesn't want to be there, but admits that it's nice that she actually gets to see her, even if it's being chased by a psycho with a machete. As opposed to the home movies you were watching when you yeah. woke up that day? Yeah, I found that weird, too. You're, I guess, yeah, sure. This is your opportunity to see her. I, I do have to say, though, for a horror comedy, there are some very depressing moments in this movie. Oh, yeah. Heartbreaking yeah, yeah. moments. Yeah. So, Don't drag us down already, man. All right, my bad. There's just the tonal shift in this movie, I believe, are intentional, um, but pretty rough. Uh, this moment's broken up by the arrival of, of Vicky, played by Nina Dobrev. Um, I don't know if you know her. She's from Degrassi, The Next Generation, and The uh, Vampire Diaries. No. Uh, with her is Tyson, a guy she's using to try to make Chris jealous, but is failing at terribly. <laughs> Uh, Vicky is obviously obsessed inadvertently admitting to stalking Chris online then says she'll see them inside did you uh, did you catch her Twitter comment nope <laughs> uh, Chris is like oh yeah so you just decided to show up you didn't see my post or anything she's like no I don't even follow you on Twitter speaking of which you lost three followers today oh yeah I did hear that line and eh <laughs> ah Prattfall okay in the lobby, Vicky, Adderall in hand, tells everyone Tyson got super sick super fast and had to leave. She then insultingly <laughs> asks Max if this event is because of the anniversary. And that felt really out of place to me. Um, because I felt like it was uh, some weird issue between the two that we weren't going to touch on at any point, And we don't for a very long time. So it only really makes sense upon a rewatch, I think. Okay. Chris offers to go get he and uh, Max popcorn with M&M's, but is cut off by Vicky, who tells Chris what she wants before giving up and just pulling him toward the concession stand. Uh, one of my favorite moments, uh, Duncan arrives and asks Max if she'll stick around for the Q&A after the show. She coldly states no, and Duncan agrees to put her down as a maybe. <laughs> he heads to the screening room, excitedly jumping over the theater stanchions, but trips and crashes to the floor. Um, I laughed out loud, mainly because I have done this exact same thing before. <laughs> I told you, you're Duncan <laughs> Trying to be cool Jumping over that velvet rope I hooked both feet and just face planted In the hallway uh, Everyone is now in their seats And the film begins to loud applause Max is understandably beset With emotion when her mother appears on screen But assures Chris she's fine when he asks If she's okay You do it, Chris 
On screen, Amanda's character Nancy tells other camp counselors the story of Billy Murphy. It's the summer of 57, uh, an inner title and a convertible pulling up in front of it tells us so. Yeah, Billy... the 1960 Chevy Impala. Ah, I didn't know you were a car guy. Uh, no, when I went looking into the music, I stumbled upon that one as well. Ah, you did research. Just because I knew. Like, Look at I... you go. Okay, I I heard some of the music references, and I was like, that doesn't line up. So I went looking for the specific dates, and they affirmed that I was correct. Hmm. But then I saw the Chevy Impala one as well. So Very good. And, okay. and the song Lollipop that's playing in the 1957 flashback was written in 1958. Okay, well, you're making me a little sad here, man. I'm trying to enjoy this movie. Okay, I mean, no, it doesn't absolutely. change it. It's no, just, yeah, the... That's 19- interesting, though. You think the writers would be a little bit more well-researched? I think they're just going for... Well, okay, the car thing, I don't know. It could have been any car. Yeah. But it just takes a quick Google search. Although, I get with the lollipop, it's like, we want a popular song. Although, I'm sure there's other popular songs from before 1957. Set the era, I guess. And I mean, it is campy, it is goofy, so maybe they just didn't care, but that's a a really good point to uh, draw some attention to. I'm assuming there are more? Uh, Those are the only car ones that I got, but there's definitely more music ones. That seems to be the big thing that they just didn't fire up the Google machine for. Hmm. All right. Uh, Billy was a young kid who was hated by the other campers and harassed by the counselors. Uh, One day, Billy tried to escape his bullies by locking himself in the outhouse, and the counselors lit a strip of firecrackers and threw them inside. No way! <laughs> no, there is no way. Can you imagine that firecrackers would give you third-degree burns? Like, they would hurt in a closed yeah. space, but I can't imagine Not they like would do fireworks. <laughs> what kind? What, what was in that outhouse? <laughs> <laughs> Just throw a grenade inside. <laughs> I love I love how they like make it a point to show that it's not the kids that were bullying him, it's the counselors that come out and are supposed to be on his side that are like, "Oh, I know what to do." Yeah, and the bullies, the the other campers are like a foot shorter than him. Yeah. I guess. All right. Doesn't mean he has a backbone, right? True. Strength in numbers as well. Yeah. Cutting to another scene in the movie, we see uh the lead-up scene uh, lead up, sorry, to the sex scene between Nancy and Counselor Kurt, played by Adam. You said Devine? Devine. D- Devine it is. Adam Devine. <laughs> in the theater, an audience member lights a joint while another drops a bottle of alcohol. The bottle rolls down the incline of the floor until it hits a wall and breaks, soaking the theater's curtains. And not, not enough. What to- was that bottle made out of that it shattered on such a light impact? Well, it hit the floor and did nothing. Then it hits fabric and basically explodes. Yeah. I'm fairly certain you're familiar with the composition of an alcohol bottle. Yeah. They're not that fragile. <laughs> and there's not enough in it to really soak anything. Yeah, well, it's a horror movie. The ember falls off the end of the man's joint just as Max heads outside to get some air, but really to avoid her mother's death scene. Uh, before she gets to the door, the ember hits the floor, ignites the trail of alcohol, and sets the curtains ablaze. Is if just only she ch- wanted to get that breath of fresh air a minute earlier. Yeah, really. If <laughs> you She'd imagine, already be outside. 
She gets outside and then just everybody dies in the fire. <laughs> Credits. <The> movie's <laughs> over. <laughs> and this fire spreads so fucking quickly. In so a, quick, yeah. In a couple of seconds, the entire theater's on fire. Yeah. It's like everything's made of paper. Mm-hmm. The audience erupts into screams and chaos. Max runs back to her friends, but collides with somebody who drops a legit machete. Don't know how you got that in the theater. Chris, it might have been a prop. No, you heard it hit with like a metallic sound as it hit the floor. Yeah. All right. Chris informs us that the exits are blocked. Don't know how he knows that. But Duncan knows there's an exit behind the screen. Max grabs the machete and slashes the screen perfectly synced to when the killer slashes Nancy in the movie. Together, the five crawl through as the screen fades to white, which I really enjoyed. Um, we don't really see the fade to white that much. Yes? I, I get that the movie is just meant to be fun, but like, why does that teleport them? Uh, I don't know. You don't need a reason. Exactly. Yeah. It just does. Well, it's like Tom Hanks in Big. Are we supposed to assume that the uh, fortune-telling machine is actually magic? Yes. That's right. exactly what you're supposed to believe. Okay. That's... That, that is the entire premise of the movie. It's terrible and unbelievable. I didn't say it was good, but at least they had an attempted justification. We'll say... If you slash a movie screen at the exact time that somebody kills one of your parents on the movie screen in the same manner, you just end up in the movie. At least give one of them a golden ticket. Don't you bring Last Action Hero into this podcast ever again. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad I picked that movie. Oh, my God. That was a blast. Yeah, sure. Although very similar to this. I hadn't really thought of that until you brought this up. (laughs) This is a much better version of that movie. If only that machete that hit the ground was magically (laughs) enchanted. The golden machete. Exactly. (laughs) Nick's up in the projection booth, passed out. Um, But yeah, the uh, the fade to white thing. um, The opposite of fade to black signifies the beginning as opposed to the end. Um, which in this case is the beginning of Camp Bloodbath. Max opens her eyes and sits up coughing. She finds herself in an absolutely beautiful forest setting. Uh, oddly brilliant colors. I couldn't take my eyes off the background. It was beautiful. Everybody stumbles out of the woods and converge. Uh, they're on the side of the dirt road and Gertie is the first to point out that somebody's coming. The sound of uh, Hey Mickey signifies the approach of a classic yellow VW minibus. The vehicle stops next to them, and a woman leans out and asks if they know the way to Camp Bluefinch. Duncan immediately recognizes her, blurts out her name, Tina, then quickly covers his mouth. She responds with a quick, yeah? And our leads stand there in total shock. And oh, I, I really man. like how they didn't have her ask, how do you know my name? No, because it's the dumb one. I exactly. mean, it makes sense. But... Are we led to believe, based on later conversations, that this is not their first time as camp counselors? Who, Tina and Kurt? Yeah. No. Maybe at a different camp. That was my belief. I got the impression that this was not their first time there. So I was like, why are they asking for directions? Yeah. No, I never really thought about it. I just assumed they have done the job before at a different camp. 
You're nitpicking yeah, I guess gun? if they were there the year before, they probably would have gotten killed by Billy then. Yeah, g- great point. Um, everybody stares at each other in awkward silence till the van just slowly drives away. Max thinks she's having a psychotic break, but Chris thinks they're having a collective dream, which I've never heard of, but interesting idea. Duncan adds that if that's the case, then there's a really good chance that his father will approach them naked and offer them pecan pie, but don't take it. It is not pecan pie. And then his stepsister throws up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many people caught that because she's just kind of off to the side, but it it is hilarious. (laughs) I like the pairing of Duncan and Gertie a lot. I wish we saw more interaction between them. For sure. Uh, Another inner title lets us know that 92 minutes have passed. The kids have been walking along the road and Gertie wonders if they're dead and if this is heaven. Vicky points out that this can't be heaven because Max is Jewish. And maybe it's Jewish heaven. Max notices a yellow VW minibus approaching from the rear. Hey Mickey emanating from its stereo. It stops alongside them and the same woman from before leans out asking if they know the way to Camp Bluefinch. Chris tells them they just have to keep going the way they're going. The woman thanks them and the van continues along its way. I like that a lot. Duncan knows something's up and starts the timer on his watch. Another 92 minutes pass. The kids are sitting on the log and Max is trying to get cell reception. Duncan's timer goes off just as a yellow VW minibus playing Hey Mickey pulls up alongside them. Same questions asked and Duncan admits he knows the way because they're counselors. He'll show them if they give the group a ride. They pile into the van where Tina, played by Angela Trimber, is excited to have so many counselors this year and when the kids get there, they're going to have so much fun. Finally, we hear from the driver, Kurt, who we last saw on screen in the theater, he asks where the suitcases are because their clothes are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> what does Vicky say? This coming from the guy in a crop top? Yeah. After a few more jokes, they arrive at the camp and Kurt tells them to wake up Sleeping Beauty. It takes a second, but it soon dawns on Max that this is the on-screen debut of her mother. Everyone turns around to see Nancy, which makes Max immediately tear up. And Nancy then delivers the soul-crushing lines. First time away from home? It's okay. It's hard to be away from your parents, huh? Yep. That got me, man. It okay. didn't get me. No, that's care. fine. You don't have a soul. I A few times in this movie, I just I was stunned. Um, I think this hit me a lot harder than it should for a comedy. But uh, I, I will just say that I appreciated uh, Fortin and Miller's writing. There were other scenes that got me more than this one. This one was just very, um, it was a little more nonchalant than some of the other ones. Yeah. Um, But it is one of the first times, which we will see many in the movie, where we realize that uh, Farmiga can cry on the spot. The van drives through the... Maybe that that took like 15 takes. Oh, God, I hope not, because it happens for the entire movie. Oh, well, Short production time, so I'm sticking with my point. The van drives through the entrance of Camp Bluefinch, and we get the title card for Camp Bloodbath. Um, Here's a question that came up when we were talking about, or my friend and I were talking about uh, people we know in horror movies. If you had to get stuck in a horror movie, what would it be? What do you mean? Like, if you had to be in a horror movie, one that you know exists, if you ended up in a movie, going through the screen and ending up in the movie, what movie would you choose Man, you can't put me on the spot for that. That takes research. 
No, it's fine. I didn't think of it either because I th- I was going to ask you and then I was going to give an answer as well. I guess Candyman? Jesus Christ, why? <laughs> so just don't go into the bathroom and say Candyman? It's a mirror. I mean, I guess, yeah, you can control how many times you say Candyman. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say the same thing for Jaws. Just don't go in the water. Everything's fine. Though you're stuck in 1975, so I don't know if that's any good. For I betting, mean, presumably maybe. you get out of the movie if you survive, but... You're right. This required a lot more thought. We'll get back to it in another episode. Yeah. Jerk. <laughs> the camp looks awesome, though. I I always, always wanted to go... Did you ever go to summer camp? Mm-mm. No. Um, I, I always wanted to because I... I think it's because I liked slasher films so much. I just it's almost like a, an amusement park for me. Yeah, you know they're nothing like that, right? No, I, I don't because I've never been. Okay, yeah, but I imagine right. all the kids ready to play games, do group activities, and the whole time I'd just be sitting there being like, "When the killer going to show up?" Nah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> where is he? Can't Who spot is him. It? He's you. Oh, <laughs> twist. <laughs> Don't go in the outhouse (laughs) if you're being picked on. (laughs) They know my aversion to firecrackers. Um, We meet another counselor, Blake, played by Tori Thompson, who has bitchin' hair and lets Nancy know her guitar is choice. Duncan states what we all know. They're in a movie. Uh, Everybody else just wants to know how to get out. Another counselor, Mimi, asks if anyone wants to go pick berries with her. Kurt says no, but will give her a hand with those melons. Uh, he needlessly clarifies his implication to our leads. Um, what do you what do you think of Kurt in this movie? Uh perfect for what they're going for. Yes, I agree. I mean, there it is does a... not exist in slasher films. He doesn't? I don't know. Not that I can really think of. But I guess everything here, it, they're trying to turn it up to eleven. Yeah. But it and only really comes through with the, Kurt. The chauvinistic one. Like, there's no question about that. Oh, yeah. He's a bro dude for sure. Yeah. Duncan points out that Mimi is on her way to the woods, so everything is right on schedule for the film. Eventually, she meets up with a hiker, has sex, and is killed. He states that everybody who has sex in horror movies die. Uh, Max then sees Nancy and Kurt flirting and immediately remembers how that ends up. Vicky asks Kurt to borrow the van so they can escape. He propositions her instead, and Vicky demands the van or Duncan will kick his ass. And that goes as expected. Kurt just throws his keys <laughs> off screen. Honestly, if I was Duncan, I'd be like, because I know the movie inside and out, right? Yeah. If I'm Duncan, it's, it's, like he knows the script off by heart. And I'd be like, just flash him. <laughs> He'll give you the keys. Yeah, really? That's all it would take. <laughs> That's like, wasn't she like, yay, feminism? Yeah. Yeah. Because he even makes some sort of remark when she wants to talk to him. I forget what it was, right? Uh, Hooters, I believe. It doesn't matter. Whatever he says, right? But Duncan should just be like, he even sets it up. He's like, what's in it for me? Yeah. Just be like, flash him. But he should also know that there's no way out of there. Does he know that? I mean, he goes on the idea that the movie is playing out like it should. But at this point, they haven't tried to escape. All they've done is walk towards and enter the camp in the van. That's a good point. The first attempt to escape comes a little bit later on. Yep. Max approaches Nancy, still in awe of seeing her mother again. And Nancy tells Max that she plans on losing her virginity to Kurt. Max tells her not to because sex can kill her. But Nancy points out that Tina has already had sex twice that day and is totally normal. 
And we cut to Tina dancing and grinding against Chris, who is standing there motionless. <laughs> He's got like the perfect look on his face of just confusion and disdain. Yeah, he like he's trying to distance himself, remove himself from the situation, but he's standing there statuesque. Like he's already backed against the van. So yeah, he I can't, can't go back anywhere. Up any further. He's completely <laughs> stuck, and he's just trying to pretend nothing is happening. Max continues trying to convince Nancy to stay abstinent, but Chris pulls her aside, telling her they have to find the others and get out now. Nancy points out uh, to the other counselors that the new people aren't on their list and ponders where they came from. While looking for Kurt's keys, our lead spot Mimi searching for berries. She's supposed to be in the forest. How far did he throw those keys? Um, very far. <laughs> like a few that's kilometers? Yeah, that's all I got. Duncan tells them not to disrupt her and they should treat the movie like a nature reserve. Uh, Mimi encounters the hiker as they make out. The five hear the audio stingers of a horror movie score and Duncan informs them that means the killer, Billy, is near. Does it sound way too reminiscent to the Friday the 13th sound? Oh, definitely. Way too close. Um, I did like, uh, I don't have it written down, but Vicky says something like, uh, are we just, so we're just supposed to stand here and passively watch someone get murdered. What is this, Detroit? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Ooh, dig. Of course, Billy shows up, breaks the hiker's neck, and then chokes Mimi to death. Chris yells for everybody to run, but Duncan stops them, saying that Billy won't hurt them because they aren't part of the movie and he doesn't know what to do with them. That's a gamble. Yeah, even if you think that's the case, you can think that from afar. Yeah, but he has no reason to believe that to be true. No. Other than he says, oh, if if this was the case, he would have killed me already. But it's he stood in front of you for three seconds, dude. Yeah. Uh, and then Duncan wondering if people are just filled with corn syrup like in the movies and taste some of the red stuff but no it's actually blood that's why yeah it's a weird question <laughs> to have let alone a very strange action to do it's duncan he's socially awkward i wouldn't do that i'm socially awkward i'd probably I don't do know. that Duncan theorizes that their only way out is to wait until the movie ends. This happens when the final girl kills the main bad guy and the credits roll. I disagree with that theory. Mm-hmm. As we watch the van loop around three times. Yeah. I mean, they have to be active participants. I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's how this world works. I guess. Oh, God. That means if I pick Jaws, I'd have to be on that boat. Fuck that. Well, I think that the idea here is, based on what you said about being active participants, is they say that the movie only ends when the final girl survives and everybody else is essentially dead. If they're in the movie and they're alive, everybody is not dead when the final girl survives. Yeah. That's all I got. I, I have to say the movie characters, the intended written characters but that is presumably happening in those 92 minutes yes so i don't know but in the same way that you don't question how they got in there i guess you just don't question any of it no and as the time runs out it doesn't even make sense but i just go with it mm -hmm. um the whole time this is happening though billy's just standing in the background watching them machete in hand yeah and i don't understand why because he does become an active participant but 
The next reel of the movie is when the final girl, Paula, is supposed to show up. Duncan takes a selfie with Billy and the killer approaches only to turn around and walk away. I don't get it, but okay. All is not safe, though. The machete flies into frame, sticking into Duncan's ribs, and he collapses. That part I don't get. It, Billy doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to be doing that. No, yeah, I Why agree. wouldn't he just kill him when he's standing right there? Other than to throw the audience off. Yeah, because, yeah, he's standing there for a while, doesn't do anything, approaches him, turns, leaves, and then kills him while he's off screen. It's not like he got naked. No, it's weird. I you could no say idea. maybe that's the trigger, as that seems to be the explanation, is that anybody who has sex dies. But in that case, he's just standing there. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think about that either. Another hole in the movie. Damn it, stop this. I'm trying to enjoy it. Okay. No, no, feel free. Go ahead. Uh, you know, this does bother me, though. What's that? I don't like the knowledgeable one being off so quickly. It would be like if our boy Franz Katz was off right at the beginning of Cabin in the Woods. Like, you need somebody there to explain to the characters what's going on. Yeah. Otherwise, they figure it out by themselves way too quickly for people that are seemingly not in the know. Yeah, I, I really would have liked for Duncan's character to stick around a lot longer. I mean, he, if anything, he'd be coaching them through it. But it seems like without him, they still come up with the the horror movie survival guide on their own, even though none of them really know horror movies. Um, yeah, it's I, just that the stuff that they are figuring out with Duncan, they seem to have no knowledge of. Like, they pick yeah. it up way too quickly. I, I did miss his character throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, they can't really kill off Chris. And they need those emotional moments with Vicky and Gertie and Max. Do they? Um... For those emotional stings, yeah. I mean, Duncan was kind of the least developed of the five of them, I think. It could have been Gertie. It could have been Gertie, yeah. One you of the could two. still have the emotional moment between Vicky and Max. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, kill Gertie. Keep Duncan. Uh, now four, they run back to camp, passing Blake and Tina, and keep going. But this repeats in a loop until they realize they can't escape the movie. Um, and this is one of the first times I noticed some really cool camera work, which we see more of as the movie progresses. It gets a little bit more and more intense, but it's just like a constant spinning 360 pan. And I don't know if it was edited, but the lines seem perfectly delivered every time. So I don't know what they did here, but I thought it really worked. Yeah, good attention to detail. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we're just pointing out mistakes they've made. Uh, later that day... That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Later that day, everybody's sitting in a circle in the cabin. The counselor's singing, Michael, row your boat ashore, while our leads just stare. Gertie Beautifully shot. Yep. Again, we're going in a circle. We're watching the counselors who are all happy, having a great time. <laughs> and then you just get to these characters who are completely lost. Oh, yeah. And it's not, it's not fear. It's more confusion. Um, they did just watch Duncan die, but I don't know if it's actually registered with them yet. Um, I guess Gertie, Gertie's upset over Duncan's death and tries to, or wants to warn the counselors. Um, Vicky thinks they should arm themselves and a car horn signifies the arrival of Paula. 
And I have a note here that I made that I just have to state there are so many amazing jokes in this movie that I'm just not going to cover them. Yeah, you have to watch it because I will not do it justice. The script is fantastic for dialogue. Nancy informs Paul of the new counselors, which confuses her because she doesn't know of any that are supposed to be there. The leads agree to stick with Paula. Max says she's going to stick by her mom. And here we get Vicky as the voice of reason, oddly enough, uh, reminding Max that Nancy is not her mother. Um, <clears throat> I do like what they're doing here, too. Um, they're having a blast showing us the tropes of 80s slasher films, uh, but providing a more um, rational uh, decision-making process that should occur within the scenarios. Um, I don't know if it's really happened before. Like, I, I guess maybe with what's his face in last action hero where he's calling out everything and saying what, uh, what was his name? Jack. Who's Schwarzenegger in the last action hero? Slater. Jack Slater should be doing instead of what he's doing. Don't ever bring up last action hero. again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's going to haunt me for a while. Um, outside, Kurt shows Chris a porno mag and makes a gay slur. Chris says that his dads are gay and to shut up. And we get a great line from Kurt saying, yeah, right. Gay guys can't have kids. They're too busy going to discos and having sex with each other. It's actually a pretty cool lifestyle. Um, I had to sit back and ask why they would include this in the movie. Just that line at the end. It's actually a pretty cool lifestyle. And I didn't know if it was a take on the over like hyper-masculine characters of the eighties. Um, you know, the pressure of like gay men to be macho staying in the closet, which is very common in the eighties or if the fact that, you know, uh, M.A. Fortin and Joshua John Miller, the writer, the writers of the movie are, are a gay couple, but it really worked with, um, the delivery of the line. Uh, it's one of my favorite of the movie. Yeah, it's a good line. Blake and Gertie hit it off in a random encounter. I like Blake a lot, actually. I wish we saw more of him. Tina's eh, he doesn't really do it for me. What? Well, he does have a lot of character development, but the potential He doesn't is have there. a lot of anything in the movie. Hey. He's kind of there for a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> Tina's confused by Vicky's cell phone. Its case looks like an audio cassette, and Tina can't figure out why she can't fit it in the stereo. <laughs> Tina has also discovered Vicky's Adderall, which Vicky snatches out of her hands and scolds her for having. Tina puts headphones on and returns to dancing. Any standout characters for you so far? No. Wow. Okay. Back outside, <laughs> Kurt tells Chris that he plans on sleeping with all the girls there, even Max, if she and Chris aren't a thing. Uh, this sends Chris into a rage and he threatens Kurt. Vicky asks Paula where the chainsaws are because she knows what's going to happen at the camp and it won't be pretty. <laughs> Paula stares at her like she's crazy. <laughs> well, admittedly, yeah, you're... Asking me where all the chainsaws and machetes are, random new person. <laughs> uh, we get more Blake and Gertie flirting. Um, and we're now at the scene we saw in the theater. Uh, Nancy's prepping for Kurt to walk into the room, but Max runs in to try and stop her. They have a heart-to-heart -heart where Nancy confesses to just wanting to feel special. And again, commentary here is much smarter than one would expect from a slasher comedy. Um Kurt enters the room and is stoked to get two for the price of one. <laughs> Cringy. Chris enters the cabin and hears the audio stingers prompting him to run upstairs looking for Max. Gertie hears it too and slowly backs against a window, which is a stupid move in a slasher movie. Uh, and we see Billy outside. 
What's the biggest problem with this? For me? Uh, it's daytime. No. What's the biggest problem for you? So in the trailer to this movie that we see at the beginning, mm-hmm. this is the scene where her mother dies. Mm-hmm. Right? Stop me if I'm wrong. Oh, I don't remember, so I can't stop you. Okay. So in the movie trailer that we see at the beginning and the whole movie scene that Max is going to walk out of the theater from when the fire hits is because I don't remember their names. Adam Devine and her die in this scene where they're about to have sex. Mm -hmm. In the trailer and presumably in the movie, Max's mother tells the flashback story about Billy. Yes. Do you see where I'm getting at with this? I see the issue here. So if this is taking place in the timeline of the movie, the explanation of Billy should have already taken place. Otherwise, if they didn't stop her from dying right now, there would have been no explanation. Come on, writers. No. Let's figure this out. Show me a movie trailer that's chronologically cut. Okay. Well, I mean, she tells them the backstory after this scene. Are we to believe that in the cut, she survives the dying and tells the background story afterwards? I think I might be missing something here. Are you still talking about the trailer where this they show well, I'm, t- I'm talking about the basic premise of what we're to believe was the original 80s movie they make it very clear that the mother dies in the scene where she is going to have sex with kurt. what's his name yes kurt that should have taken place after she told the background of billy because if she dies there i see what you're saying now sorry i was having a dumb moment There's no timeline way that it works that she could tell that story afterwards. So when they go back into the movie or into the movie, the explanation of Billy should have already taken place without them prompting her to do it after she survived her supposed death. Yes. You've done a very good point at uh, at, uh, homing in on flaws of this comedy. Yes. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. I really needed that. <laughs> Man, I don't think you enjoyed this movie at all. Am I wrong, though? No, no, you're totally right. But I think I just got so wrapped up in it, I completely I just blanked out on that altogether. Mm-hmm. What? Was that mm-hmm, the just... movie or me? No, no, no. In general. I mean, the writers could have simply In had, general, like... so both of us. All right. This meant the writers could have had a reason for her to tell the story of Billy beforehand. I mean, Duncan's already dead. You could have asked them to tell the story based on that. Maybe it would have killed the mood, but it just... Yeah. It's No, you're right. They definitely dropped the ball on that one. Forget it. Just forget it. Move on. No, I was agreeing with you. Soak it up, man. It doesn't happen that often. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris threatens Kurt, but screams from downstairs cause them to gather gertie tells max to tell them about billy and this prompts nancy to tell the legend of billy murphy good thing she's not dead great great thing the ceiling begins to ooze but only our leads can see it love they, this effect it's a great effect if they used it once i didn't like it the second time it was really cool though i haven't seen it in anything before i mean they used it in a clever way lady later it's like we're gonna use this as an escape they use it in a clever way, lady. 
Yes. I mean, a lady does use it. Yeah. So. And it, it is. Yeah, you're right. They they use it properly in the story, but I only needed to see the effect once. Um, At least the second time, it's quicker. It is. Yeah. Good point. Um, they soon realize that this is just them transporting into a flashback. We get the earlier origin story where Billy hides in the outhouse, trapped Billy, suffered severe burns from the firecrackers, and ended up in the camp's burn ward. How many summer camps have burn wards? See, the whole thing is, this flashback should have just been left out of the trailer that Max was watching at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. Just have a bit of a voiceover, because now we're just watching it a second time in what should be be the wrong order like just don't put it in that trailer yeah but we do get a lot more uh of the story here so like i don't know uh but the more we get the more problems i have with it because like i said how many camps how many summer camps have burn wards you go to a hospital for that i assume that he was in a hospital i didn't think he was in no he was still at the camp i went back and looked at it oh um, all right then yeah, she says that eventually his fear turned into hatred and he made a mask to hide his scars and vowed his revenge. One night he killed eight counselors, one for each month he was in the ward, and then went into hiding in the woods waiting to get revenge again. And this is the main problem. He is clearly at camp in this burn ward. So how fucking long does this summer camp run? <laughs> At least eight months. At least nine months. Because it wasn't the first day there that he got burned. All right, then. Doesn't make sense. Oh, but, now you're allowed to not make sense? But sure, okay, I can't point it out. Well, I figure we should be on the same page. Okay, fine. So I'm, I'm uh, up on my complaint level to uh, Luketic level. Oh, is it, so is this going to be a challenge then? No, no. <laughs> it was a bluff. Please don't ruin my movie. <laughs> During the flashback, Gertie gets sprayed with blood and the blood stays after the story's over. <laughs> the counselors stare at the blood-covered girl in shock before fleeing the cabin. Paula and Kurt hop in her car and take off. Max tells Nancy, Tina, and Blake that they can't leave, not until Billy's dead. Paula and Kurt almost make it out of the camp, but Duncan stumbles out of the woods, still alive, but directly in their path. The two plow into him, causing the car to hit a post and sending Kurt through the windshield, killing him, Paula screams from inside the car until it explodes, killing her as well. I liked the Kurt death scene. Um, it was visually something. It was comedic, for sure. Why'd you give me hope and bring Duncan back? I didn't like that either. It, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the father being stuck in the swamp and cutting class. <laughs> stuck in that swamp for so long. For days. That and swamp that was either super close or super far. We haven't determined. <laughs> you had to have walked there, right? I don't know. It's like it's in between his house and the school. But he drove to get bait. Let's just go back to this movie. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Vicky freaks out because Paula was the only one who could kill Billy. Inside the cabin, the leads explain to the counselors that they're characters in a movie. Obviously a tough pill to swallow. They've put Tina in a life jacket and taped oven bits over her hands. <laughs> uh, before they do, Tina mentions that she only believes in legends that are oh, like... Oh, yes. Loch Ness. Bigfoot. 
Bon Jovi. The legend of Bon Jovi, who didn't release Slippery When Wet until August or August 20 August 1986. August 2086. 2086, yeah. Tw- <laughs> August 1986, the album released. That's fine. Songs come out before the albums do. Uh, is he it a would legend make sense. at that summer point? Summer of 86. Come on. End of the summer, August 1986, that album released. And he's yeah. a legend? Nah. You just already, you've already said Tina's the dumb one. I'm surprised she knew what Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster were. Who goes to summer camp at the end of summer no, to you, know that an album that hasn't come out yet is already from a legend? Okay, well, the song would have come out months previously. All right, well, I mean, it wasn't like it was their first release, but he was like there wasn't a legend. What? Wait, okay. What? What did he release before then? Oh, I didn't look Sidebar. that far into it. Just "Slippery When Wet" was released in August of nineteen. 19- Jeez, 1986. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure he's not for... legend status, but on his way. Sure. Uh, like I said, they put Tina in a life jacket and taped oven mitts over her hands to make sure that she can't take her clothes off, prematurely summoning Billy to kill everybody else. Now they have to figure out who the new final girl is. Vicky nominates herself, but Chris points out that she isn't a virgin. Um, Gertie thinks that Max is the only true virgin there. Chris reminds everybody that Billy can only be killed by his own machete, like in the movie. They have to figure out how to get it into Max's hands so she can do what needs to be done and they can all go home. Max doesn't believe in herself, though, uh, so Nancy volunteers. She didn't sleep with Kurt, so at least she can still save herself for George Michael, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> They even say, don't hold your breath. Yeah. <laughs> What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't look up when the when Wham got together. Music nerd. Oh, I didn't. No, I when missed that Wham? one. All right, I'm on it now. I know it was mid '80s. I know in '81. Okay, that makes sense because my sister tortured me with that fucking album when I was a kid. Mm, debut album in 1983. So yeah, it's doable. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Vicky tells Nancy that she can't be the final girl because it's not in her DNA. She's the shy girl with the clipboard and guitar who just gets laid and is part of the body count. I mean, harsh, accurate, but you're saying it to her face. Yeah. Yeah. To a person that has no idea what's happening in their life at that moment. No. That's awful. And realistically, Nancy runs off in tears, followed by Max. Um... They have a very difficult and multi-layered conversation, and Nancy asks if she's really going to die, and Max answers as if she's talking to both Nancy and her mother. Um, I know that you don't really care about that this writing, but I, I fucking love it. I think it's great. Um, Nancy wrestles with the idea of never growing up, falling in love, or having kids. She had a dream of graduating, meeting a guy, and having a daughter who she would be there for whenever she was needed. Um... Yeah, man. Surprisingly well done. Heartbreaking scene. Agreed. Nancy asks what they do next, and Max tells her they fight. Chris, who I never really saw as a jock before, but comes out with like his football play, uh, comes up with a plan to stage a slumber party to lure Billy to the cabin. Operation Booby Trap, Tina as bait. 
Nah, clever. Yeah. Booby trap. And we get a montage of setting Kind of like the joke I would make. That is a joke you would make. Someone stealing your thunder? I mean, I can't make the joke if they say it in the movie first. You feeling a little hurt? Yeah, a little bit. That's okay. Maybe I can get you. I, 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 know, I know the next next week's movie you'll have some decent puns for. Maybe. I don't have any for this one. That's shocking. You have to have some. Right. No, right. I got nothing. Jesus. Okay. It's off-putting. Yeah, uh, it cuts deep, man. Cuts like a knife? No. Okay, sorry. That's Brian uh, Adams, man. I don't... Yeah, you're right. What are you doing? Nothing Dang. well, obviously. Hang your head in shame. I'm sorry. I don't know my 80s fucking rock. Okay, fine. Just Abs- move on. Fine. I'm trying. <laughs> I am going to educate myself on Brian Adams and Bon Jovi. I'm going to quiz the shit out of you, okay? Okay. <laughs> I don't understand the point of that, but I need to defend myself somehow. The award for things said that will be forgotten as soon as we finish recording goes to bed. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, back to the movie. Absolutely amazing scene here with uh, Max, Vicky, and Gertie on the dock. And I, we said we could get rid of Gertie and still have this emotional scene. But the more I think about it, the more I really like her being included here. Um, also, Vicky starts crying and apologizes to the girls for how she's acted over the last few years. We find out that Vicky felt cut out of Max's life after her mother died and became jealous as Max and Gertie became best friends. But I don't see really how Vicky and Max would have been friends. Mm. Like, did Vicky turn into the mean popular girl afterwards? Probably, yes. In middle school or something. She also states that uh, she's the mean girl in an 80s horror movie that is already half past its runtime, so she knows she's not going to make it. Very self-aware, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tearful trio have a group hug. I have no, yeah, it's great stuff, man. Um, all of it's awesome. One thing slashes almost always lack is character depth. And I feel like outside of Duncan, really, they've been doing a really good job of building that while maintaining 80s schlock. Uh, a few more jokes with Tina and the cell phone. Chris asks Max how she's holding up and then admits that he's really scared. <laughs> I just have a note here. Fuck yes, Chris. Uh, it's just something we rarely see in horror films is like, are the guys admitting that they're scared, especially to the, well, who I guess we find out to be the final girl, but they're always the uh, headstrong idiots who end up just getting murdered. Uh, Tina finds bottle of Adderall in the life jacket. Why are they there? I have no idea. I guess Vicky hid, hid them. I'm very impressed with her ability to open that bottle with oven mitts taped to her hands. All you have to do is push down and twist. You don't need to grip it. Mm, I guess some of them back then. Oh, wait, no. I guess it's a pill bottle from later on. Had it where you had to line those things up. Oh, yeah, that's right. I guess it's doable, but it still would have been darn difficult. Also, how does Tina function? Uh, like, how has she made it this far? I guess she's a written character and it kind of just exists in the movie. They need bait. Yeah. Another tough conversation between Nancy and Max. Nancy points out that Max's parents must be worried about her. Uh, Max says she never knew her father and her mother is away. Um, 
When asked what her mother's like, Max says she was beautiful and funny and never knew how awesome she was. Nancy calls out the use of past tense and asks how Max's mother died. Just fucking rough. Um, she gives Max a friendship bracelet she made so Max will never forget her. Max suggests that maybe she doesn't have to stay in the movie. Uh, if she never dies, then she'll be around at the end and they can leave together. Um, I know I'll, I'll never be able to fully understand the mother-daughter relationship, but this good God, it's great writing, man. Uh, the moment's interrupted by Gertie, Chris, and Vicky, who inform them that there's a bit of a situation. Uh, the problem being that Tina has eaten all of the Adderall. How is she not dead? I don't know. It's a movie. Angela Trimber is great here, though. As Tina, she is fantastic. Um, and I found out, looking some stuff up here, that uh, she took my approach to uh, improv when we filmed... Uh, Wow, it's monsters. I slammed three energy drinks right before we started filming. And that's what she did here. Downed a bunch of energy drinks and then improvised the entire scene of her freaking out. You know, our audience has no idea what Ah, it's monsters is, right? No, it's fine. They don't need to. All right. Maybe, okay. maybe down the road they will. It's our little secret. Uh, everybody's nervous, but Vicky unconvincingly states that if anything, Tina is more focused. <laughs> as she's bouncing off the walls she reminds me of kelso that you know what i thought the exact same thing but i thought it earlier there's a part where they go out to greet paula and she's just kind of staring off into nowhere with a goofy smile on her face yeah and i was like that's totally kelso there's no way she didn't plan some of this character on michael kelso yeah i don't know i see it a lot Everybody's in place for Operation Booby Trap. Chris tells Nancy to unleash the beast. Oh, this is another music thing for you, isn't it? It's the one that triggered this entire thing. And she drops the needle on the turntable. And we get Cherry Pie by Warrant. Which was released in 1990 and prompted my entire... I didn't have to look this one up. I'm like, that song was not released in the 80s. I thought it was. I really nope. did. It makes sense, though. 1990. Well, the song starts playing and Tina begins her Adderall-fueled frenetic striptease in the doorway of the cabin. See, this is where I was saying, if they didn't play the record and the song was just playing as part of the movie soundtrack, I'd let it go. Yeah. But it's clearly that they're playing the record. And that's where it got me. Yep, that's... I can't argue that at all. I say as I'm trying to type it up. But, uh, yeah, no, there's no way they would have... A physical copy of that record. I say physical. Like they have a digital copy. Get your shit together, Mason. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they honestly could have had like one of the scenes where like Chris is somehow like wiring up the cell phone that they have with them to the to the speakers or something because they didn't have. That would a be interesting, there, right? And then not only are they playing a song from the phone, but they're confused because they're like, "What is this song?" Yeah. Right? Like, think back to the future when he plays, you know, Johnny Be Good. Right? Great point. The plan works, luring Billy out of the woods, but Tina panics and runs, falling victim to their first trap. She hits a tripwire and falls face first into a bear trap. Aw, snap! <laughs> oh, there you go! You got one! <laughs> well done, buddy! I love how they pan over to Chris, 
And the look <laughs> on his face is just like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you ever find yourself in a situation where you can't process what's happening and you just stare <laughs> blankly trying yeah. to figure it out? He nailed it. <laughs> she just turns around and trips into a bear trap. <laughs> oh, it's so unbearable. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, you got two. Well done. Let's see if we keep this uh, keep this rolling. Trap two works. Cutting a rope, suspending a totem pole from the ceiling. Swings down and hits Billy, sending him into a rack of antlers. Blake goes to get Billy's machete, but the killer isn't dead and takes him out. Why, why does Blake... Well, first of all, Blake kisses Gertie. I don't know if that's meant yeah. to be like an omen of things to come because she even says like, oh, fuck it, and kisses him. Mm -hmm. But like, Chris is standing right there. Yep. Why is Blake running down to get the machete when Chris is right there? Oh, no, it doesn't He's make sense. He's already hanging from the antlers. You clearly close the door right next to him to, to set that up. Even if he's dazed for like a second and then obviously comes back because of what we like, you know, what happens. Yeah. But like, if he is dazed, that's the perfect opportunity to grab it. You're right there. It just happened. Don't tell Blake. Was it Blake? Blake? Ah, terrible with these names. Blake. Don't tell Blake to come down here and grab the machete from him suspended on these antlers. Don't pass the buck like that. Ah. Uh... All right. What? what? All I, right, terrible pun aside, the point still stands. Chris yeah. could have literally just reached over and grabbed it. Honestly, if it weren't for him closing the door to expose the antlers mounted on the back, um, I would be okay with it if he was still just staring at the bear trap. Yeah, but he had to close the door. Exactly, so, for yeah. the trap to work. Yeah. Uh, we do get some more amazing camera movement, though. Um where I, th I believe the camera is going directly towards Max, but uh, rotating 360, just spinning as it approaches her. Um, so I looked into how they did some of this stuff, and apparently they needed a, a cabin large enough to film these like cranes and, with cranes and do these stylistic shots, but no structure at the camp was big enough. So they ended up building one that could contain the cranes, uh, didn't have enough budget left to tear the building down afterwards as they'd like been, you know, planning throughout the shoot. Um, so they just made sure that the building was structurally sound and left it for the camp owners to use. No, that's kind of nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think my interruption caused us to glance over that Blake did get killed by Billy. I, I know we implied it, but I think I made oh, you yeah. kind of skip that part of the notes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, Blake doesn't make it. Mm -hmm. He gets slashed real good. Mm -hmm. uh, Max, Nancy, and Chris hit Billy with flaming arrows uh, with wit marshmallows, uh, and he keeps advancing. Everybody runs upstairs. The next trap fails. Gertie and Vicky get pinned under a bookshelf uh, while the others escape through the window. Billy kills Gertie by stabbing her through the bookshelf, and Vicky sacrifices herself to set off the trap, creating a fireball that engulfs the top floor of the cabin. And of course, Billy survives. I mean, no. Yeah, not that. even a scratch. No. Just. I, I have to say, a... I really have to say, I hate that fucking mask. It's a bad mask. I hate it so much. It only makes sense because he's a child when he made it. 
I I almost got like a feeling like they were trying to go for almost like an Aztec look with it. Yeah, it's but done really poorly. It's so bad. I don't I don't know. It's really bad. I hate it. That's one. I the few times I've watched this, every time I see it, I'm like that's just it doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, Billy jumps through the window and pursues our survivors in an acknowledged slow motion scene, which again I have to bring up is beautifully shot for a chase scene like it's actually my desktop wallpaper now oh wow yeah billy catches up to them and max gets nancy to retell billy's origin story starting a flashback to occur and getting them out of harm's way see clever use of it yeah it's smart billy travels back with them though uh he takes a step forward uh but is smashed into by the convertible from before throwing him through the summer 1957 intertitle and scattering the letters everywhere I love that. It's great. Great visual effect. Yeah. The hulking slasher vanishes, but Max finds his machete. They see young Billy escape the outhouse and follow him into the woods, arriving at a cabin Nancy has never seen before. Well, how could she see it? This is their first time at that camp. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) The slasher returns and they end the flashback to escape, but Billy is there when they return again. He stabs Chris and abducts Nancy. Max helps Chris hobble to the chapel and tries to bandage his wound with her shirt. I didn't even notice a chapel beforehand. Um, He tries to convince her that Nancy's dead and that she's supposed to die. She's not real. Max refuses to believe him and sets out to rescue her. You know what I really wanted in this scene? Just to add a lot more like weight and power to it. What's that? Is if he said, you know, she's already dead, she's supposed to. And then he said something like, we're all supposed to so that you can survive. Like, acknowledging himself having to die too. But he doesn't. He doesn't, but none of the movie plays... Nancy's not dead like he claims either. Yeah, no, I know. I'm saying, like, he doesn't have to die... For well, I mean, when they're talking at the very beginning in their little like yellow van time warp, Duncan says when the final or or not during the van, during the berry picking sex scene that sounds hot. Yeah, that the final girl has to survive when everybody else is dead. Right. So. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll go along with that. Completely untrue, though, when you look at slasher lore. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just going, like, I'm assuming they're going based on what info they got from Duncan and building on top of that. Yeah. And it's not a line that actually happened, so it's irrelevant. I just thought that it would have been a little bit more powerful. Fair. Um, There's a bit of writing that happens towards the end here. I wish they would have changed. I thought it would be a lot more impactful as well. Um, I'll see what you think when we get there. Uh, Of course, Max finds them at the cabin from the flashback. Uh, She finds Nancy tied to a chair, frees her, and the two attack Billy. The villain throws Max to the ground, pulls a knife. I don't know where the knife came from. I guess he just carries it with him and stabs her in the stomach. Nancy grabs the machete and drops the big man. Nancy helps Max back to the chapel where Chris is near death. I would have liked it if they got back and he was already dead. Because he says earlier when she helps him into the chapel that he's he doesn't want her to go because he's afraid of dying alone. Yeah, that was a powerful line. It was. It really was. And it made me love Chris even more. But if that is what they walked into, the emotional impact that would have on Max would be crazy. 
Max knows she's dying. Nancy says it's because she isn't the final girl yet. She's accepted herself as a character in a movie and knows what she has to do. Uh, in a rather emotional scene, Max breaks down crying, telling Nancy she's her mother and just wants to save her. Nancy says Max won't lose her because she isn't lost, and Max knows right where to find her, but at the same time has to let her go. Max finally gets to say goodbye to her mother, and Nancy walks outside knowing Billy will kill her. To lure him in, she unbuttons her shirt while dancing to the tune of Betty Davis' eyes. See, that is a perfectly fine use of the song. Yeah. Even though Betty Davis's eyes might have been out earlier, it's not actually playing in the movie. It's just playing in the movie's soundtrack for us. Yeah. And it's a good emotional connection. Yeah. That is a forgivable one. If the movie, if that song wasn't already, I don't know how that song is. I didn't look it up. Uh, yeah, no, I don't believe it's. Well, yeah, actually. But that's, I'm just saying, that's the difference between a movie that, or a song that they interact with and a song that's just played for the audience. Betty Day's Eyes released March 1981. Yeah, so I, again, I'm fine with it. Even if it was 1999 for that one, I would have been fine with it because, again, it's not a song that the characters no. are actually interacting with. But it, it's a perfect throwback to the opening of the film. Carries all the weight of the emotion with it. Yep. Really enjoyed it. Billy appears and stabs Nancy in the back, making Max the final girl. Who all of a sudden learns martial arts. Yeah, she also stops bleeding. She's the final girl, with the powers of the horror movie trope bestowed upon her. She picks up the machete and battles Billy, eventually decapitating him. What a slide on grass, too, jeez. Your knees would be fucked. As the sun begins to rise, Max is stunned to see the closing credits rise from behind the tree line and into the sky. I, I, love, I like that visual effect. I love effect. the effect, too. Yeah. Uh, Chris joins her in the field where they finally kiss. Camp Bloodbath ends in a really weird, jarring like film reel effect, but we fade to white again, where Max wakes up similar to when she entered the film, but now in the hospital. Chris is asleep in the next bed over. We hear the echoing voices of Duncan, Gertie, and Vicky. Duncan really enjoying the pudding. Max sits up and pulls the hospital curtain aside, revealing her friends alive and well. They assure her that it wasn't all a dream, as Duncan shows his poorly stitched machete wound. <laughs> Max looks down and sees that she still has the bracelet from Nancy. Though not, or sorry, though all is not as it seems. The friends hear Billy's music and peer into the hallway where they see a doctor putting the moves on a nurse. Duncan clues in immediately when he sees a can of tab, a Rubik's Cube, and a gizmo plushie. Just then, Billy bursts through the window and into the hallway. They're in the sequel. Max grabs an IV pole and charges at the killer. Roll credits. And then we get treated to a bunch of bloopers during the credits, which I loved. But what did you think, man? So what did you think of that ending? I didn't like it. Would you have rather that she woke up in the hospital and they were just being treated from essentially the fire in the theater and this was essentially one big dream for her i'd be okay with that yeah it would feel like a bit more of a cop-out but i think i would have been more okay with the ending yeah me too yeah i mean the only way this ending works is if we get that other movie i'd be okay with that i mean you can play up a sequel in the fact that when duncan invites them in the very first place it's a double feature. Yes. Right? And I love that. 
like even when he shows them the flyer and he's asking them to attend, it shows the 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 movie poster for both movies. Yep. So if they made a sequel and it was like, oh, well, we're not done because we have to sequentially get through both. Perfect setup for a sequel, and I'm okay with it. I mean, this movie was 2015. I doubt we're going to see a sequel. They had planned on one, and I think that's why they have this ending. But they were only planning on it based off of its box office, and I couldn't find any information for that at all. Now, the problem I have here is when a film ends on a relatively high note, promising to make a return, and then never does. That kind of detracts from my appreciation of the movie. They didn't have to set up the fact that they're in a sequel in this, like you said. And I would be okay with that, because then you link that to the opening of the second film. And now I get that it's kind of a joke here, but knowing that they were planning on doing a sequel, this kind of feels cheap. But the thing is, if they're in the hospital right now, in this part, to be treated for what they believe are the theater Like smoke inhalation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then you could start a sequel if it's actually greenlit and happening as them like, oh, we're... We're being released from the hospital. Oh, wait, this is the different hospital for a different reason. It's a perfectly fine transition. Yep. If you don't see them leaving the hospital to still be in the movie. And presumably Duncan wouldn't even need to have a machete uh, scar for that reason. Because in the sequel, he's starting off fresh. Yeah, exactly. Like if you have them just end in the hospital without Billy showing up, but not him leaving the hospital and then you get the money to do the sequel you film the sequel you get like a 10 second 15 second recap of the end of the first movie leading to them leaving a hospital and realizing it's a hospital that exists within that cinematic world perfect yeah you could literally have it where the final scene or the final visual we see is them hugging in the hospital because they survived this ordeal or it was just a dream in her head or whatever yeah And then if you start a sequel, start it from that exact flash frame or freeze Mm -hmm. frame, right? Mm -hmm. So, whatever. Well. All right. What do you got for numbers, dude? Um, Sorry, I'm scrolling. This is 27 pages of notes, by the way. Jesus. It took me a while. Um, Yeah, I just want to say it was uh, actually directed by Todd Strauss-Schulzen, mainly because he is directing the upcoming Rabbids film based off the video game series. I I don't have any response to that. I don't know how I feel about it. I just found it really weird that they're making a Rabbids film. Okay. But uh, I guess it was a pretty successful game crossover with Mario. Um, you want to take a guess at the budget? No. Because Wikipedia and IMDb both did. Oh, like they both have different numbers? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, sure. What is it? I believe Wikipedia is more at uh, 4.5 million. Okay, I mean a believable number. Yeah, and, and IMDb is not that far off, and they admit that it's estimated of uh, 6.5. Mm, okay, <laughs> I mean, I would believe either of those figures. Yeah, I have no idea what it made. Um, only through, like, DVD sales, it made, like, just under 2 million. So there's an okay chance... Did it even get a theatrical release? I don't even I remember. Limited, I'm pretty sure it was uh, streaming. 
I don't even remember hearing about this one. Yeah. Yeah, it had a limited theatrical run uh, and then video on demand. I can't imagine they even had much of a marketing budget as nothing. No, this must have been used as like a calling card of some sort, showcasing talent both behind and in front of the camera. But, uh, I mean, I I don't agree. I, I, okay, I see why the movie got the ratings it did from fans and critics, but they're all below what I would give it. Um, IMDb, 6.6 out of 10. Okay. Uh, as far as Rotten Tomatoes, it's pretty close. Uh, the critics gave it 74. Audience gave it 69. It's kind of all in the same ballpark. Yeah. I, I would... I would definitely give it higher. Um, how, how did you feel about this being PG? I don't think it impacted it at all. I, I mean, they still got away with good, like, death scenes, a um, little bit of blood, you know, leaned on the humor more for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think kind of like working around the provisions of the requirements to have a certain rating, I think they did a good job. I think they did too. And normally with slashes, you get what an abundance violence and nudity yes the violence here pretty campy um no nudity fine it really worked i could see hardcore slasher fans feeling like this is just way too comedic of a take or a slant well then they're missing the point because exactly I think that that's exactly what it was supposed to be 100 percent agree with you uh i think a lot of people just didn't really get what they were watching or wanted it to be something other than what they got. But I thought it was great. Um, before we started recording, I told you about an Amazon review uh, <laughs> that I read that I thought was hilarious. Okay. And it, it is definitely one of those people that didn't like what they got. Uh, it's titled, Was Okay to Watch to the End. Not sure, though, if I will keep it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whoever wrote this, uh, I don't, Vaxia, V-A-X-I-A, I don't know. Didn't like one particular character at all. I wished he had died at the end instead of surviving. He actually liked the horror movie villain. He was excited to be in the horror movie, reveling in the evilness of all if it. Truly disgusting individual. There were characters in the movie who didn't deserve to die but did, and characters who should have but didn't. Very disappointed. And they still gave it three stars out of five. (laughs) Do they get how this works? No. The more you like a character, the less likely it is that they're going to (laughs) survive. I thought it was good for a laugh. All right. Um, Move on to uh, awards. Yes, sir. Um, worst performance was tough, man. It was. I agree. Um, and I hate the fact that I had to pick my boy Chris. Alex really? A- yeah, Alex Ludwig. Um, how? He's just the least best. It was really tough. I couldn't. I couldn't pick some of his like reactions and facial expressions. Like, I he's amazing. When Tina like bites the bear trap. I, it's just too good. Too good of a visual actor. I know. No, and he's great. That's what I'm saying. I think 
everybody might have done just as well or maybe a little bit more. Uh, some people, I think, did much more. But I debated him as my best. And I see that argument. I totally do. I don't like having picked him as worst performance or least favorite. I mean, spoiler, I didn't pick him as my well, best, yeah, but yeah, I definitely I heavily considered it. Yeah, he's he's so good. He's so good. New, I think we need to figure out new awards, man. <laughs> you know you know what the the difficulty with a movie like this is that you watch some of the performances and there's clearly two casts, yeah. right? Yeah. There's the realistic cast that's coming from the modern day that has like re- like realistic or logical reactions to what's going on. Mm-hmm. But then they're being countered by a cast that's meant to be characters of character types. Yeah. And you don't know if they're performing poorly, well, exaggerating purposely a bad character. I mean, they're at characters one point, of Duncan characters of their caricatures. Yes. Yeah. At one point, Duncan asks Kurt to like zing him, insult him. Yeah. And his response is such bad writing. And it's like, yes. And that's what these characters are supposed to be portraying. Yep. So it's like, how do you determine good and bad when you're when you got two completely different casts working in tandem? No idea. It's a tough one, man. So who's your worst performance or least? Uh, the main character. Don't even get me to say her name. Taisa Formiga? Yes. All right. Why? Uh, the second that they fade white into the movie world, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, and she's coughing, I didn't buy it. Awful. You're going to judge her entire performance off of coughing? Yes. Okay. I mean, I'm with you. It was tough. The only other person I was considering was Chloe Bridges as Paula. Because I thought she was by far the worst out of anybody in this movie. Yeah. But she's not in the movie for more than a a few minutes. Yeah. I don't think she's on screen for a full minute. So, yeah. But the time that she's on screen, when she's staring at uh, uh, Vicky... As she's, you know, like spiking the punch and Vicky's asking for all the machetes and she's got her mouth hanging open. I just want to slap her. Like, do better. <laughs> okay. But she's not in it enough. So it's that person. All right. Best? Uh, Thomas Middleditch as Duncan. I would have loved to see way more of him in this movie. And if you said that that's cheating because he's kind of off early and not in it enough i would have said alexander ludwig but i'm Mm -hmm. going with tom middleditch as long as that's allowed oh yeah definitely Uh, i really wish we got more of him i really really do he's a very talented actor he's an improv actor too so but he's cast in the perfect role too um do you think um fran kranz would have done better um no really okay I think that Franz, Fran Krantz, name is also a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> um, I think he does this type of character better in a more subtle light. Okay. Where the um, character of Duncan is absolutely, like, he's the most character of the realistic characters. Yeah, good call. Yeah, so, right. I mean, absolutely can see 
if you were going for a bit darker of a take of this idea of being sucked into an old slasher movie mm-hmm. without as many comedic undertones, that he might be a better casting choice. But for this light, I would stick with Thomas Middleditch. Very good. Yeah, he was great. Um, uh, who did you have for best? Uh, it was a tough one. And I picked your least favorite. Ah, um, uh, no way. Lisa you Fumiga? failed that one. No, she's great. She was absolutely amazing as Max Cartwright. Sure. Yeah. You judged her off of a cough. I, well, I, I mean, it wasn't just the cough. Great. I wasn't super impressed with the rest of her performance, but on my second viewing, when I saw that cough, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's decided. But like all the scenes with Max and Amanda or Max and Nancy were very, very well done. She was given a lot of emotional weight to convey on screen. I feel like she did it perfectly. Most of it was just her sitting teary-eyed while Nancy did all the talking. Yeah. I um I almost picked Angela Trimber as Tina. See, and that's where the debate comes that's in a tough because one. she's meant to be that ridiculous. Right? Yeah. And but she she played it so well. Like she played that character perfectly. So how can you pick her for worst performance? She did what she was supposed to do. But she's not my – I wouldn't say she's the best or favorite because we're going with best or favorite, right? I don't even know anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't think – if she got more screen time, I think it would have been annoying. Yeah, but that's why she's in there just the perfect yeah. amount. Um, Memorable lines were tough ones. Okay. For me anyway. I don't know about you. Okay. Um. There was just a lot that stand out. And the one that stands out the most to me has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It has no impact okay. whatsoever. Okay. And it's Kurt to Duncan at the camp where he's like, I liked you and you were laughing at my jokes. Now I just think you're weird. And I don't know why that it's completely inconsequential to anything else happening in the movie. It's just the delivery sticks out of my head. Yeah. I mean, Adam Devine is so over the top in this. Yeah. He's great. I'm surprised. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more lines that you would have leaned towards and even hinted at as we were talking about the Mm -hmm. movie. So I'm a little surprised. Yeah, it's not favorite. It's most memorable because when I think of this movie, I just think of that scene. Okay. Well, that line, not that whole scene. Okay. What you got? I'm breaking rules here. Um, And I I can't help it because my line came shit on me anymore for this then. My line came from the blooper reel. Oh, that doesn't count. I can't help it. From this moment on, if anybody even mentions this movie, I'm going to think of a line from the blooper blooper reel. I can't help it. I wanted to pick other ones. I really, really did. And I'm like, you know what? I'll let Ben get mad at me because I got to go with this line. It's not Kurt, is it? No. Okay. No, it's actually Duncan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is an outtake where Duncan says, and it's, it's. I don't know if, it, I would have loved if it was actually still in the movie. It's in <laughs> the hospital the scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Pardon? I'm like, does it include part of the title? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he says, ever since I was a little boy, I've dreamed of being the final girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That made it's, me laugh a lot. I, I 
like there was other lines um you know when kurt and chris are talking mm-hmm. and kurt is talking about how like oh if you're not dating max i wouldn't mind bench pressing her with my dumbbell yeah and chris grabs him in like a headlock and he says if i see your dumbbell even do so much as take a pilates class which wouldn't have existed and chris like yeah. what <laughs> what is that um but i that outtake was just too good. Yeah, it was really good. In, in one of the outtakes, Kurt also mentions uh, Bad by Michael Jackson. Yeah. Uh, which was not out until 1987. There you go. So it's a good thing they cut that. <laughs> yeah. Need to I'm sorry. After. I know it's a cheat, but the, like I sat around. And by the way, if anybody does watch the movie, stick around for the blooper reel. The bloopers are great. There are so many lines in that blooper reel that I'm like, These should have been in the movie. They were some of the best lines. Yeah. I think the thing was a lot of them were probably improv and they just didn't know how to properly put them in there. Oh, definitely. You see Ludwig crack up a few times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Memorable scene. Uh, So for me, it was the initial time warp realization when they are watching the yellow van loop around three times. And you kind of even see Duncan's like, head ticking and he sets the clock and aside from the fact that the i don't know the consistency of like this time warp essence is kind of i don't know questionable uh, aside i thought that that was just a great um way to set up the tone of the movie yep you know and it helps that you got this bright yellow van this like lush colorful landscape precursoring them being like eternally stuck in a slasher movie. I don't know. It just, it is a very good. Yeah. It's, it's a very good uh, setup and that definitely stood out to me. Yeah. Very good. Um, For me, it was the arrival at camp Bluefinch, where like you just see everybody doing their thing. Like when the van pulls in, everyone starts getting out. Do you know that meme of, um, DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he's just like leaning forward in his chair pointing at the TV? No. Oh, well, look it up. That was me, man, when that (laughs) happened. I was like, give me fucking that. I want that. Um, Then it goes back to like my love of camp set slasher films. Like they, in one scene, they summed up everything I love about those movies. And with minimal dialogue is just visual representation. I loved it. Um, And yeah, that totally sticks with me. So it's just because it's the summer camp you always wanted to attend. Mm -hmm. All right, I'll take it. Everybody remembers things for different reasons. I I like to remember the uh, events that never actually occurred in my life. (laughs) That's why (laughs) I don't like carrying through my movies. (laughs) But yeah, all in all, would um, you know after this conversation we've had and me rambling on and on. Um, would no, no, you recommend? No, no. I ask you first what your final thoughts are on the movie. Oh, you already know what my final thoughts are. I mean, but we still do it. It's a formality. What do you? I want guess fair me? enough. I loved it. I fucking love this movie. Um, I one hundred percent recommend it to everybody. You don't have to like horror movies to love it. Uh, if you do, it just adds to it. Uh, everybody likes comedies, and there's several great laughs in here. Um, a great strong cast, decent directing, decent writing. It's fun. It's a 
a quick 91 minute runtime. I thought it would be 92 since, you know, 92 for camp bloodbath, but, um, it's awesome. I loved it. I, I don't own it, but I will soon. Uh, very happy to add it to the collection. I loved everybody in it. 100% recommend. And I will be recommending it to everybody who's just looking for a fun comedy. You? I loved it. I yeah. thought it was a great movie. I watched it twice. Easy to sit through. And I could watch it again. Yeah, me too. It um, doesn't get old. As long as you know what you're getting into. Um, because, like you said, somebody looking for more of a traditional slasher obviously is going to be disappointed. It's pg so you're not going to get the usual like nudity and blood that you get from one of these 80s slashers. But know that this is meant to be like a comedic parody character of that with a more serious undertone. And it is a fantastic movie. My only complaint is that I found that the final act was a little slow mm-hmm. um, when they actually get to uh, Max fighting Billy and going to save Nancy in the cabin. I, yeah. I feel like the pacing suffered there a little bit, but in the end, it's a fairly short um, portion of the actual film's runtime, so it's forgivable. Yeah, it's uh, the only time they really leaned more so into the dramatic element. Yeah, and it just, like, everything else felt like it was moving at a better pace, and this just kind of feels like the opposite, where it slows down a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, it has, like, probably my least favorite line in the movie when... It's repeated earlier, but then Max says it. It's like you messed with the wrong virgin or something like that. And I was just like, no. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty bad. But, but honestly, that's the your rest only of the complaint? That's not bad. The rest of the movie is so good that you can you can accept the shortcomings of the final ten ish minutes. Yeah, totally. I'm glad. Is I'm glad you you, you enjoyed it. No, I didn't no, know what yeah. to expect. Really, that's what I go for. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm glad you liked it. Uh, like I said, the cast it's they're just so much fun. They work so well together. Uh, I really wish this movie had more exposure. I really wish we got the sequel and yeah. that the sequel had more Duncan in it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I mean, that was our thoughts on the final girls. If you guys want to share your thoughts, hit us up on social media. We are on Twitter at BS Bargain Bin. You can hit us up on Facebook.com slash BS Bargain Bin, though I don't think anybody uses Facebook <laughs> anymore. Um, okay, so I surprised Ben with my reaction to that one. Let's see if we can do it again next week. Ben, <laughs> what are we... If, no, I don't like that laugh. And, and, sorry, you had a question? Yeah, what are we watching next week? Um, do you don't like pause. Corey Haim? Uh, you know how I feel about this. Do you like Gary Busey? You know how I feel about this. Do you like Terry O'Quinn? I love Terry O'Quinn. Do you love werewolves? Mm, I mean, if I ever met one, maybe we would get along. I don't know. Uh, All right. Well, we'll find out because we're going to talk 1985's Silver Bullet. to talk to you. You won't let go of it, will you? I saw what I saw. Psychotics are more active when the moon is full. And this guy's a psycho. When they catch him, you're gonna find out he's just as human as you and me. You have got to 
get this idea out of your head. There are no such things as werewolves. The Bible tells us to fear the terror of the beast. I am scared to death. What are we gonna do? I think I know. I want you to turn this into a silver bullet. Heck, you're gonna shoot a 44 bullet at anyway. Ain't not a silver. How about a werewolf? The moon is full. You better watch it. I think he's going to come after me. Are you ready? You see how all things serve the will and the mind of God. You see! Until next week, have a good one, guys. All the best, guys.